Okay, so, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you people. It's a great way to start. I know, somebody's new and they're like, oh boy. You guys, seriously, baptisms last week, you guys ate all the cookies. I had, the last time we did a newcomer party, I had two gigantic bags, ate them by the following Wednesday, by the way. But, you know, but after the, the baptisms, all those desserts, nothing, nothing. You guys are like locusts. You just swarm on in. I got like half a table left. Something because you eat everything else. That's why I didn't bring dessert, so I had extras. Golly. Okay, so I know you guys don't care, whatever. So uh, October, November, I, I'm doing this thing called the Great Experiment to see if it works. Uh, at the baptisms, I had three people come up to me and said if we actually had childcare at the 815 service, they would go to that. And so for October and November, uh, I talked to Christy. She's going to she's hate me for this, uh, but we are going to run uh, child care for, uh, for everybody at the 815 service. So if you have thought, I know you're at 11 o'clock going, I just out of bed. I have no idea what 8 even means. Right, I got it. <laughs> but if you are so inclined that you've been thinking about maybe getting up earlier and going to an early service, October, November, we'll do full uh, children's stuff for all, the, all three services on Sunday morning. If you know somebody who needs that, let them know. They can come and, and, and see me grumpy. Because <laughs> I am totally grumpy. A15. I try not to show it, but it comes through. That's how it works. All right, why don't you stand there reading God's Word? We'll get going. It's so warm today. The sun came out early. I know. If I pull a magic mic and yank my shirt off up here, just. All the guys, gross. Whatever. Romans 3.23. We have all, my wife doesn't say that. We, this is going to be, this is going to serve on putting on video right here. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we know that we are a people who fall and say dumb things a lot. So we trust you as our God to save us and redeem us. We ask that we be people who live lives that show your graciousness in them as we live out your calling within us. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, This is Genesis week 32, and what I'm going to do today is try to give you a little bit of humbleness by the time we bring this all together, because we all need some. Uh, We are in the book of Genesis. If you are new, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one, and there are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. If you missed any of Genesis, you can get them online. Again, it's free. You get what you pay for, but they are free. Uh, Today's section in Genesis takes place directly after Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot commits incest with his daughters. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed because of their sin. The story now moves back to Abraham. This is now a brand new narrative. It's it's moving forward, but this is kind of a new section. Uh, Abraham, you'll see, is in covenant relationship with God. That means that by God's own design and God's own decree, God sought out Abraham and made relationship with him. Now, I really found it interesting how this section takes place because what it does is you see Abraham fall and get up and fall and get up and God keeps calling him forward in the covenant. Uh, Then what you see eventually is God comes and and he has dinner with Abraham, signifying this idea of salvation that is relationship and doing life with God again and now right before his promised son comes Abraham falls back into sin again it seems like he's living so well and then right back into it I, I don't know if anybody's had that experience don't raise your hands but I don't know if you have that experience where things things seem to be going so well and some old sin just pops up and creeps up and you fall right back to it something you thought you'd mastered and it's right 
there. I mean, this could be a bunch of things. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a website or a set of websites you used to visit, and you're like, man, I've stopped doing that, and all of a sudden, one day, boom, you click on it, and there you are again. Maybe it's an attitude you've had about somebody else. It's like, man, I'm, I'm past that attitude. I'm doing so much better, and all of a sudden, you find yourself mad at somebody and gossiping about them again. Maybe you used to listen to really terrible music, and, and so you, you like threw it all away, and then one day, you're going through a box, and there's a, and there's a Backstreet Boy and NSYNC CD sitting right in that box. <laughs> And you pull it out and put it in and fall right back into the same old sin of listening to a boy band. New kids on the block. Oh, 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 oh. That, that's Abraham, right? He, he starts doing so well and he falls in. And that's just like the rest of us. We tend to look at people in the Bible like they're superheroes. Larger than life. David, Paul, Moses, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's like the Justice League. It's like Batman and Superman and Aquaman. And then you see that they're all too human. You know, when Adam sins, he, he basically cusses out God and blames God for his own sin. Noah, God shows him grace, builds a boat, saves his family, gets off the boat, builds a vineyard, gets drunk and passes out naked in his tent. You get to a guy named Abraham. Listed over 300 times in the scriptures in regard to faith. Three religions on the earth traced to him. People think this is God to be Superman. And yet he's just a human being that's saved by the grace of God. In Genesis 12, when you first meet him, he gets scared, goes down to Egypt, tells them, oh no, my wife is my sister, so they won't kill him. And today he does the exact same thing, falls right back into it. And this is the idea. There's a life that most of us want to live as believers. But it's so much different than what we actually do, what we actually see, what we actually have. But we want this different life. And so we search for the right formula. We read all these books. Christian bookstores are full. Do these five things, do these ten things. Pray this prayer. You'll, you'll get it all figured out. We groan and we pray, God, give me strength to not be me. I want to be somebody other than, than me. And we wonder if we're actually ever going to change. We're frustrated with our, fear, our spiritual and physical life. But the scriptures insist that transformation of ourselves is actually possible. But it's never short and it's never easy. Now, Soren Kierkegaard once wrote, he said, With God's help, I shall become myself, meaning who God intended for me to be. He also called Abraham a knight of the absurd. Because there are some things that Abraham has such extreme faith in. You're like, man, that's totally absurd that you trust God in that, which you'll see in a couple of weeks. And the other things, he just falls so easily in things he should not fall into. Now, I don't know, but I think Abraham was a lot like us. I think he's a really disappointed with all the ways he kept falling short so often. And I'm not trying to make this message a total bummer for you, but that's a sad cry of humanity. It's a struggle between their disappointment in our actions and the hope that we're actually called to in our lives. And when I was in high school, I used to use this word, it's called diss, like you would diss something, like you put something down. I know I'm, I'm a white boy and I can't say it too well, so you diss that kind of thing, but whatever. And this is the kind of thing with, I have with disappointment. We put down what God called us to or the appointment we actually had with God. We move God from the center of our lives and put ourselves in his place. The Apostle Paul tells us that we're to live life as if Christ held sway over, over every single part of it. He says that we groan for what we were made to be. In Galatians 4.19, Paul calls those who believed his children. And he says, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In Ephesians 2.10, we are told that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word for workmanship is the word poema. It means a work of art. It's this idea that God made us to know oneness with him, to reign and steward over his creation with him, and it's God's goodness in creating us that makes our fallenness so tragic, that we are constantly disappointed with who we are, and it runs so deep in us. But God is determined to overcome our brokenness. He's not just, he doesn't just want to repair it like, like when you drive through a hailstorm, you got the little dings in your car, oh, I'll fix that. God just doesn't fix that. What he does is he remakes us. 
which is supposed to make the human story not one of disappointment, but one of hope. It's one of hope. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. We're going to look at Abraham, this this patriarch of faith and what he does, how he falls on his face again and again and what God does in his life, how he becomes humble. And I think how we all can become a little more humble, especially with those around us who fall around us and we don't really want to love them. We just want to judge them, how we can actually have a little bit of humbleness in that as well. Genesis 20, starting in verse 1, says, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Now, after the baptisms last week, my mom comes to first service, and she says, I haven't seen a map for a long time. I have no idea where we are. So, here you go. My mom caused me to take more time. Here we go. Uh, over here, this is where Abraham starts in Genesis 12 on the right. See Babylon? That's where he starts. Uh, his brother dies. The family moves up to Haran. It's on the top in the middle. And then everybody else dies. And then what happens is Abraham and his family get called by God, and they move down. See where it says Damascus over there? This is essentially the area of Canaan, and he starts to move that way. Now, next slide. This is uh, where he starts to live like last or a few weeks ago next to the Oaks of Mamre at Hebron. That's over on the left of the Dead Sea. I think it's appropriate name because right on the right of the Dead Sea is Sodom and Gomorrah. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so this, that's where Lot went to live after Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. He goes down to Zoar, which is down at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Next slide. It's like, well, that's a lot of stuff. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out here. All right, so you have the Dead Sea right there. You have Mamre kind of right in the center. And then what happens is Abraham now heads down to Negev and goes up over to Gerar, kind of this J-looking kind of thing. It's about 100 miles. Okay? So he kind of does this whole trek. The dude's just all over the place. Now, we, we have no idea why he went there. It, it could be he saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's probably about 50 miles from where he was living. He probably saw it and thought, maybe, you know, I, I need to get away for a little bit. This is, this is a whole lot of emotion for me to handle. Or maybe, you know, God promised a son, so maybe he needs to make some money. So he goes over here and starts trading some goods for some other goods so he can have a little bit of income. Uh, but the point is, this ends up what's being what's called Philistine country. If you ever read the scriptures are philistines friends of god no not at all it'd be like you moving to iraq or afghanistan and throwing a jesus fish on your car and driving around it just if they knew what that meant it would just not actually be that good so that's where he moves it says and abraham said of his wife said of sarah his wife she is my sister this is the second time in the scriptures he's done this he may have done it more than that but he lies about his wife the first time he does it he's scared for his life here later you'll see he's also scared for his life he thought they would kill him and take his wife sarah what you have to understand is sarah at this point is 90 years old and smoking hot, apparently. Just smoking hot. I know, if you're a woman, you're saying, give me more info. How do I, at 90 years old, get to be smoking hot? What's she eating? What's she bathing in? What's the supplements? I'll buy it. Tell me, tell me what it is. She, I mean, Abraham is worried because she's so hot, they're going to kill him and, and take her away. Now, this could be a good thing. Abraham could look at his wife, and that's his standard of beauty, and so he just thinks she's gorgeous. All the, my, my standard of beauty is my wife. I think every guy is trying to steal my wife. This is why the shotgun is always loaded, gentlemen. Just letting you know. Letting you know. But it also may not have been the oil belay. What, what it could have been is some Jewish commentators believe that after God makes this promise, Sarah says, I'm dried out, I'm withered, I'm old. Well, I know pleasure. This is the word for moist again. So God literally comes and he rejuvenates her so she can get pregnant again. He actually takes her back to like pre-30-year-old levels. You know, wh- whatever it is, what happens next is it says, And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
lying always leads to bad consequences. Abimelech could have thought she was hot, or she could have still looked 90, and he just said, well, this old guy, Abraham, has a whole lot of stuff, and if I marry his sister, she'll be part of my harem, and then I will have a lot of his stuff as well. Either way, it's epic fail on Abraham's part. He is not a superhero. He is just a scared old dude. And I will tell you, most husbands and boyfriends don't look so bad. We may have forgot the anniversary, but at least we didn't try to sell you. You're welcome. <laughs> Whatever. All right. I got booze last service for that, so whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, so God, it's a joke. So God gets involved in the middle of this because God is always saving Abraham from himself just like he does for us. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. So God uses a dream. These people were very into dreams, so God uses a medium they would understand. And a lot of people ask me this question. Well, what, what happens to people who have never heard about Jesus in all these different parts of the world? Missionaries didn't get there. there. There's lots of people like that. And my response is always, well, how do we know God hasn't been there? I mean, God can literally do it his world not ours he can literally do whatever he wants to do and so god here speaks in a dream does every dream come from god no if you ate bananas and pepsi and went to bed it's probably the bananas and pepsi before you went to bed this is what god says and this is one of the funniest things in the scriptures to me because my mind's a little twisted so god comes and he says to him behold you are a dead man i love that i think it's just hilarious anybody ever see uh, the movie back to the future yeah okay if you're over 30 you saw this movie called back to the future good for us all right 25. I don't know, wherever that works. Okay. Uh, in the, in this movie, there's a guy named Marty McFly. His, his dad is like, he goes back in time to the 1950s and he's got to get his dad to do this thing. So his dad's asleep in bed. Uh, Marty McFly puts his Walkman on his dad's ear. So Walkman's like an iPod <laughs> that played cassette tapes, which is these little things that kind of, anyway, whatever. And so, and he, and he plays Van Halen, which was like a hairband. Okay. So anyway. And it's a song called Eruption. I know you don't care. Whatever. So he plays it. Boom. And, and his dad's like, ah, right? This is the view I got. I view God showing up in the room going, boom, you are a dead man. I am Darth Vader from the planet Krypton. You know, that, you have to see the movie. Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox, Netflix it. It's free. Just watch it. And then you like totally get what I just said. Anyway, so I think this is what God does. Shows up. Boom. You're a dead man. Totally freaks me out. Just no chit chat. Because the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. Meaning God cares about marriage. He's trying to straighten out Abraham and Sarah's marriage before their promised kid comes. Because fear is never a reason to abandon your family. Verse 4. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. That means he didn't have sex with her. God makes sure she's not defiled because the baby's going to come through Abraham and Sarah, and he wants nobody questioning that. So he said, that's Abimelech. So Abimelech says to God, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Now, Abimelech is really afraid of God because what did God just do? Sodom and Gomorrah. Smoke, salt, destruction. If this God shows up to your house and says, knock, knock, who's there? I'm the God who smokes Sodom and Gomorrah. You're a dead man. What would you do? You go, Psst right like oh my goodness that just happened it's around the corner I, you you would freak out so that's that's what god does it's it's oh great so what abimelech does is he appeals to god's justice because it was justice that god got rid of sodom and gomorrah verse five he says did he not say to me she is my sister so he blames abraham he says you know what don't come after me go after that guy who claims to follow you and before you think oh poor sarah not really it says and she herself said he is my brother so she sins with him. Their marriage is like this little web of lies. Do you see why God's got to straighten them out before the promised boy actually shows up? Yes. Good. All right. That's the answer. He says, in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And if you didn't know the rest of the scriptures and you just looked at this little section, you would think Abimelech was the believer and Abraham was not. And this is the sad thing is that sometimes unbelievers are so much more moral than believers. It's just sad but true. Anyone ever been betrayed by a Christian? 
Yeah, you should all raise your hands because you are, if you are one, and then you probably betrayed somebody else. So yeah, you're, you're terrible. And, and if you're a Christian business owner and, and you put a Jesus face on your card, I'm sorry, this isn't meant towards you unless it's true for you. But I have, I have been burnt by so many people who say they're Christian businesses got a little Jesus fish on their cards. I swear, the little Jesus fish must means I rip you off in Jesus' name. I swear that's what it must mean. It's okay. I tithe 2% on all I stole from my clients. I mean, it's seriously, this is, this is the deal. You know, we claim to be Christians and we're not moral at all. And we need to be. It's not that we're saved by our morality. We're saved by Jesus. But our lives should begin to reflect the God that we say we serve. See, this is where we have to find and understand that we are saved by God's goodness and not our own. It is not good guys who have a strong relationship with Jesus, but those who trust their God. But our lives should begin to look more like God's character and how we live. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, same dream, same conversation. Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So God's like, I gave her a headache, or I made it that time of the month. Whatever it is, she couldn't go in and, and, and be with her. I mean, sometimes we think we're so good and moral and, and right because we haven't done anything wrong. I think you got a little dot, dot, dot yet. That's the thing. Sometimes it's just God sparing us. It's not that we lack desire. It's we lack opportunity. We're gonna, afraid we're going to get caught so we don't do these things. Abimelech works by my conscience. And I'll tell you, a conscience does help. You know, if we actually listen to it, we're made in the image of God. The conscience speaks to that. But most of the time, our conscience is only going to respond to what our values actually are. There's a lot of people I know that are not believers, and they are good people because of their conscience. But I will tell you, a good conscience doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. Today, we have too many people who think the gospel is all about morality. And they say, well, I'm a good person. I guess I don't need God because I'm good. And they are good people. But the essence of the Christian faith is not moral people, but people who are connected with Jesus Christ. People connected to God, this relationship with him. Conscience is good, but is insufficient for a relationship with God, which you'll see in just a moment. Verse 7. Now then, God says, return the man's wife. You haven't done anything wrong, dot, 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 yet. Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is the word navi. It's the first time this is used in the Hebrew text, and it means that Abraham has a special relationship with God. For he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Now, this has got to be a weird thing for Abimelech. What do you mean? This guy lies to me, causes all this stuff, that the God that smoked Solomon and Gomorrah is now wants to take me out because I've done this thing I didn't even know was wrong, and that guy's going to pray for me? Think of how Abraham must feel when he steps into this situation. When we are truly confronted with our sin, it should bring deep humility because we know what others have to be thinking about us. I mean, Abimelech's got to be wondering, that liar's going to pray for me, and Abraham has to know that. But God only give a, gives Abimelech two options, you know, give her back or get Sodom 2.0. Which one do you want? All right. Verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And all the men were very much afraid. Well, yeah, you would be. This is the guy who smoked Sodom and Gomorrah. You would be a little bit afraid. And there's two types of fear that I want to point out to you. The first type of fear is what's called fear of believers. This is someone who knows God, honors God, respects God. These are Christians. We fear God as we would a very strong father. And the other fear is fear of unbelievers. This is, this is afraid of God like a stranger, the terror of the unknown. No more is this seen than in the cases of death. For, for believers who trust God, we mourn, we're sad, but we know there's something more. Unbelievers have a different reaction. Death scares them. Say things like, well, I hope the big guy isn't angry at me. 
Right? They're, they're afraid. Their view that heaven is a really nice place and they've got to be really good to get in. And if you just do all the right things, God's going to be like a drunk border patrol agent and you'll sneak around him and get inside. Woo, I, I made it in. That is not who or what the God of heaven is like. And it's not what heaven is like. But this is kind of maybe the idea of what you get in Abimelech. He's trying to be a good guy. Hey, you know, I'm not immoral like your prophet. Hey, you know, help me out here. And Abimelech's fear causes him to unleash, rightly so, on God's prophet. The unbeliever is now preaching at the prophet about how immoral Abraham is. Verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? This is the word for guilt, this great guilt. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. It's like, you're a Christian, what did I do to you? Why does God let the unbeliever rebuke the prophet? Because Abraham needs to hear it. He needs to be humbled. He needs to be taught a lesson. If you wrong somebody and you you think that just because you're a believer, you don't have to listen to the rebuke, you're wrong. You need to hear it. Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. When I, was, when I was a, first became a Christian, I was 17 years old, and I was a Christian for about a year, and a friend of mine and I were doing this thing, and there's this older guy that was at this church we were going to, and he came over and he, he did this thing that just was not cool. Uh, and so I actually sat down with him later, and I said, you know what, you did this thing, it wasn't really that cool, and I tried to explain it to him. And you know what his response to me was? You've been a Christian for a year. I've been a Christian for 30 years. How dare you question me? That, that was the response I got. Guys, as believers, we've got to understand we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and we must listen to the rebuke when it's spoken to us. Because you look at Abraham, the patriarch of the faith. Is what is being said about him true by Abimelech? Yes, it's totally true. He has wronged these people. For you and I, we have lost the moral high ground. We can't stand in front of people and say, well, don't be a sicko, pervert, weirdo, chain smoker, when those are the deacons in our churches. And we can't do that. Jesus says it's this kind of witness that kills us. We do not need to try and defend all the actions of Christians out there. Oh, well, they didn't really mean to do it. We don't need to defend it. We call sin, sin. What we need to defend is the honor of God. So we call sin, sin. We say what it is, even when we mess up, and then we get that right, and then we say, now, how can I help you? You know, what, what can I do to help you see who the real God actually is? Verse 11, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Why'd you do this? Abraham said, I did it because I thought. He didn't pray, just made judgments and assumptions. I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. That's probably a true statement. And they, would, and, and they will kill me because of my wife. Now, again, he's probably right in his assessment of the place. But what he does instead of trying to do something about it, going back home, whatever, what he does, he decides he's going to sin against them before they can sin against him. I mean, do you think that this is how much of our society feels about Christians like Abimelech does about Abraham? I think it's totally how our society feels about us. We have to be a people who are careful how we judge and how we live. We are representatives of Jesus Christ in this world. We cannot look out and just judge people. You've got to get to know people. I mean, yes, there are weirdos and crazies out there. I don't walk certain places at night. i got a gun cabinet. Half of them are loaded. Okay, I, seriously, I get it. I get it. I do. But I'll tell you, there are many decent people in our world like Abimelech. And Abraham was to be a blessing so that Abimelech would know who God was by how Abraham lived his life. And instead, he did the exact opposite of what God called him to do. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. And instead, Abraham, he judges and he lies. Verse 12, he says, besides, she is indeed my sister. So now he starts to try to justify himself. Besides, you know, I really, uh, seriously, sometimes when you take, just take the rebuke. Stop trying to make excuses like, oh, yes, officer, I was drinking and driving, but the alien told me to. I mean, so you just got to stop sometimes. Just, just don't keep going. I mean, I mean, seriously, you know, she is indeed my sister. Honestly, if true, does this make it any better? 
The answer is no, okay? No, it doesn't make it any better. She didn't have to change her last name. It was great. I mean, our family tree, it doesn't go this way. It just, we just got a trunk. That's all we got. I mean, it's, it's just it's not good. It says, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. This is like the legalese at the end of an infomercial right here. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, he starts to blame God. I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. And the only redeeming thing in this is at least Abraham takes responsibility for his wife's lie. Verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham, returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Now, if someone sins against you, are you going to give them a house and a car? No. Why is Abimelech doing this? Because God just smoked Sodom and Gomorrah and God showed up and he's like, take whatever you want. You know, don't have God smoke us at all. I want to be okay. Verse 16. To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother. And this is actually a joke in the Hebrews. Like, get it, Sarah, your brother. Har, har, har. Okay, that's what that is. Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. This is 167 years wages. He's like, I know your husband's a tool. You're going to have a tough life. So go shopping. You'll feel better. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God. Think how humbling that's got to be for him. He is called on the carpet for his sin. It's pointed out to him, and what does he do? At least he doesn't run away. He takes it and then humbles himself. He says, okay, I'm going to pray. I mean, there's still defects in his character, but he's starting to get this in order a little bit. And Abraham does the one thing Abimelech doesn't is that he actually prays. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of all the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, if you hear this message and, and you're not a believer and you think, great message, I'm not a believer, I'm moral, good, I got it. You've got to understand all of it that goes along with this. Because even though Abimelech seems to be moral, he is lost and condemned, and the Christian ends up praying for him. Abimelech needs God because he's not in loving relationship with God. And yet Abraham, with all of his faults, gets rebuked, doesn't run from it, and steps in and actually prays for him. See, you and I, we want to transform from the people who stop needing to be rebuked into those who truly live the life God calls us to. We all want that life. But it never happens by running away from our embarrassment and the problems. We, we face it head on and deal with it. And the truth is we are going to continue to fail and to fall in our lives. People go to therapy and self-help groups and health clubs because we know we should be better. We continue to look just like Abraham. And sometimes I think, man, if we only looked as good as Abraham, because a lot of times we run from our rebuke and we should be taking it. Growth is a molding process. We're to be like Christ. Romans 12, 2 reminds us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word transform is the word metamorpho, and it means to metamorphose, like a butterfly, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. That's the idea of that word. We are told when God begins to transform us, we don't just do what Jesus did. We want to do what Jesus did. We don't just do the right thing, we become the right sort of people. This is the idea of the new covenant where, where God sends his spirit and his spirit lives inside of us, where ordinary people receive extraordinary power for change. See, the primary goal of our lives is to glorify God in all things. And when we truly glorify God in all things, it begins to bring human transformation. We realize that every moment of our life is an opportunity to learn from God and be more like Jesus. I tell you, the good news of our lives is that we can experience the power of God. 
because salvation is about the redemption of our entire life. It actually means something. Everything you have gone through in your life actually means something on the other side and for the rest of your life. Years after Abraham, you get to a guy named Moses. Moses encounters the living God. His world is visited by the presence of God, much like Abraham. And so God reveals himself to Moses as he's walking past a burning shrub. Moses has probably seen hundreds of burning shrubs. It is the Middle East. It's very hot and all that. But this time it's different. In Exodus 3.3, And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. This is to give us an idea that God burns in us, but he doesn't burn us up. And so God talks to Moses and says, I want to send you to get, set my people free. And Moses is thoroughly confused by the timing because when he ran away, he was 40 years old. Now he's 80 years old, living in the desert, and he murdered somebody. And so, man, I would have been much more useful to you, God, when I was younger and didn't kill anyone. That's probably the better time to use me in this. You know, how can God use him to deliver this people? I mean, he's just like Abraham, a liar, you know, and he runs, runs away. In Exodus 3.11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children children?" of israel out of egypt he says i'm nobody i'm a disappointment to you i'm a disappointment to me and god essentially says i know that i know that but it doesn't matter because god says in exodus 3 12 that i will be with you i will be with you and so moses says so when i go and tell them who sent me what do i say and this is one of the greatest lines in all the scriptures exodus 3 14 god said to moses i am who i am God reveals himself then to us today that he can and will transform anyone and use anything for his glory and his good. God says to Moses, to Abraham, to us, I have watched over you. I have seen all you have done. I've seen all that's been done to you, and I have come down to rescue you. You may be who you are. You may be disappointed in who you are, but I am who I am, and I can redeem anything. See, you and I, we will fail and fall our entire lives. We must be willing to listen to rebuke when spoken in truth from God's Spirit and from other people. We must realize we are not better than anybody else. We have been offered grace. We don't run from the things, the stupid things that we do. We take the rebuke and we deal with it so things get better on the other side. We should be a humble people because our great God deemed to save us. That should bring us all some humility because we are just like Abraham, who is just like everyone else. I mean, when you look at it, there's not good guys and bad guys. There is just Jesus and all the rest of us. And we learn from Abraham and Sarah that there could be something in your life that you may be totally embarrassed by. You wish it would go away. And when you understand that, you realize that God even saves us from ourselves. That Abraham and Sarah are not victims but fools who are destroying their lives. And yet God interceded. God intervened for them. In the end, Abraham, I think, realizes his sin. He begins to transform because of his repentance. He doesn't run away from it. He doesn't run away from it, and he becomes more of who God wanted him to be and who he probably really himself wanted to be. And he prays for Abimelech and his country, and that's the difference. He doesn't run. He does what God calls him to do, even when it's hard and embarrassing. See, this call of interceding is what we should all do because it's what God has done for us. We should be praying for people who are unbelievers. We should be praying for people who you don't like, that person in your office that has stolen your red stapler over and over you know, they're always taking my favorite pens. They're always, you pray for those people, your friends and your enemies and your family. That might be the same thing. You know, you pray for all these people because that is part of transformation, beginning to change and understanding the grace of God. This idea of an intercessor was fulfilled actually fully in Jesus Christ. A God, he was God, he was man, dies in our place, rises three days later to live as an intercessor between God and mankind forever. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. This means when you and I want to talk to God today, we actually can because of Jesus. He takes our hurts and our dreams and our fears and our failures, lays them before God. He enters into our lives and makes us into the type of the person that he wants us to be. 
type of people that we truly, I think, want to be. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This means that if you're lost, you're, you're alone, you need a touch from God, you get connected to him today, right now, because of Jesus. You open your heart and your mind and you pray to him. Jesus hears your prayers, lays them before the Father, and we lay our lives at his feet, and he saves us from all the folly that we have ever done. This is why, if you're a believer, you thank God every single day for all he has done for you and I, even though many times we make a mockery of his name by what we do, and that God is always interceding for us, just like that knucklehead Abraham. Because you may be who you are, but God is who he is. And that is the point of the scriptures. It is about Jesus and him interceding for you and I. And guys, I will tell you, you may have some terrible stuff that you've done even as a believer. God can still take and change and make beautiful things come out on the other side of that. But it takes you not running away from it and stepping into the rebuke and living with it, even sometimes when it's embarrassing, and coming on the other side showing who Jesus is by how you're intending to live. And this is the whole idea behind communion. That when you take that crack and you break it like Christ's body is broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I, that we get to be these people who actually can have new lives, that the broken body of Christ and his blood that was shed and his resurrection from the dead is all something that brings us into the place where we live with God's spirit in us so we can have strength to be the people we always wanted to be, the people that God intends for us to be. Uh, the band's going to come up. Can you run back there and grab them, somebody? They're still sitting there and nodding. Somebody. There you go. That's so funny. Ellen Darn Ryan's got his baby in his hands going, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> you guys don't see half the things I see up here, by the way. Sometimes I'm just like, la, la, la. Okay, the man's going to come up. They'll play a couple songs. And, and as they do, we invite you to take communion. Uh, and in that, take a few moments to realize what God has done for you, how God even redeems all of our mistakes, all of them. Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you feel like you live your life and half the time it's a mockery of his name. Well, you know what? They would love to pray with you about that and help you understand the grace and the goodness of who Christ is and what he continues to do day by day by day. Uh, there's an offering box on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of our worship, so you have the opportunity every week. And then there's some food in the back, and we also intend for you guys to get to know each other so you can walk this life together because many times i think if abraham had some other guys around him who were following he'd be like don't say that don't say she's your sister that's a bad idea you know maybe you know we need to do that for each other as well um so we encourage you guys to to get to know each other to to build some relationships so that we can walk this life together because we're not meant to walk it alone we're meant to do it in the community of believers around us and we are we are called to be people who live on mission for god's name and that can be done even in the midst of our idiocy and our folly that god can redeem these situations because i will tell you guys your your sins were paid for two thousand years ago at the cross it is done it is done i mean in the book of romans paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus which means yes you may have these stupid things in your past but that's not condemnation there what that is is god calling you into grace to step into the life that he intends for you to live because it's a life of freedom and grace and truth and life and that's what he longs for you that right there not to live under this heaping guilt but to live in great grace and freedom and i think eventually abraham understood that but i think it was a long trek getting there and i think for you and i i think we need each other to help us to get there as well so we understand god's great grace because he is a god who loves us more than we can ever imagine let's pray part of this morning we as a people 
do ask that we would understand your grace so much better. That we wouldn't be a people who just sit in, in our condemnation because that's not where we were meant to be. We're meant to be a people who understand the freedom that you've called us to. That your extravagant love has saved us even from ourselves. And that we in turn would begin to live lives that better reflect your goodness in us. That we'd be able to touch the entire world around us. That, that we wouldn't be like Abraham in this story today. But we'd be actually a people who when we step into different situations, people would see who you are by what we do. That all of our lives would be worship of who you are. And that we wouldn't shrink back from the grace you called us to. But we would fully embrace it. Taking rebuke when it's needed. But more importantly, more importantly, showing you who you are by how we handle ourselves when we fall and how we get back up and how we continue to walk. Father, our lives are about you. They're not about us. And have us day by day by day understand that you saved us because of your glory and you call us home because of your glory and that we are to live lives that show your glory. Have us be a people today who begin to live that. Because you are a great God who has sought us and saved us. And we are a people who are forever grateful. Forever. Thank you. Amen.